This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Thanks, everybody, for clicking download on this episode of the Chicago Podcast Network's Out Front with AJ and Nick, available for you to subscribe to on Podcast Addict, on Android, on the podcast app, on iTunes, and most importantly, you can find us on Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network, Twitter, Chicago Podcast One, or you can email us at chicagopodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Please subscribe, do the liking and the whole thing. Message us. Let us know what you want from the Chicago Podcast Network, and we'll do the best we can to keep you entertained. Thank you so much for listening, and here we go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is another edition of Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Sorrentos, your host, extraordinaire, uh, editor in chief, other assorted grandiose titles that I love to give myself because I think I'm that cool. Joined over the interwebs and Skype by my good buddy, AJ Signari. AJ, say hi to the people. Hey, people. Oh, I love it when he gets deep with it, when he gets all up on the mic like that. So, today's show going to be a little bit, uh, we're a couple, hit a couple different things. We're going to get into some of the deaths that we've experienced in the world of music and entertainment. And then we're going to move into a little bit of just have some fun at expense, uh, at the expense of, of course, the Donald. So that's what you have to look forward to today on out front. But I want to get started, AJ. You strike me as being one of those people who was relatively affected by the death of David Bowie. Was that, would that be fair to say? Oh, yeah, I mean, David Bowie is one of many influential people that have really changed my life as well as um, inspired me to become a better musician as well. Okay. Why is that? Um, Bowie specifically, um, for all of us who grew up in the 80s, um, the movie Lambrinth was an eye catcher for me and i didn't know who david bowie was but i liked the movie and everything and i started listening on the radio um a lot of different songs i didn't connect as bowie songs until you know i started going through various vinyls i'm like oh that's david bowie oh that's david bowie oh that's i didn't know that's david bowie and just kind of learned a lot of things about him and then had to go backwards of his music career and then watching him as he's kind of transformed from one thing to another to another. And when you look at his career as a musician, it's really impressive when, when you see, when you see some musicians, they really can't get out of a certain decade or genre. Um, I'm thinking of a lot of 90s bands like that <clears throat> that they really can't get out of. Um, when you hear bands like Smashing Pumpkins, you know what Smashing Pumpkins is, and Billy Corgan doesn't really sway or give as much to his sound. But when you have someone like a Bowie who just comes onto the scene and he can do disco, he can do... Um, synthetic um 80s rock he can do hip-hop to a degree he can do rock he can do all these things 
And that's really impressed me about him, as well as, you know, changing his identity, which was also an eye-catcher for me as well. You know, his gender-bending way of um, all the albums he's done and the things he's done in fashion, it was always eye-catching. Um, I was at, last year, at the Museum of Contemporary Art when they showed the whole David Bowie exhibit <clears throat> of all of his clothes, as well as liner notes and all the album covers and everything that was about Bowie was there. And it was even more impressive to see those things firsthand, like the real outfits that Bowie has and actually see a more deeper side to David Bowie than I once knew. So I've always, Bowie has always impressed me and there's a lot of songs that I still listen to. Um, some songs probably resonate with me more than other David Bowie songs, but for the most part, I mean, he's one of those top, probably my top ten um, musicians that has really inspired me. It's interesting that you say all of that, because I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Jared, uh, about this the day that he died. He showed up at my house uh, to see my roommate, and we were talking about it, and he'd mentioned you know, Bowie dying, and he was talking about it, and I said to him, you know, I am... When it comes to music, AJ, I, I'm not, this sounds really weird, but I'm not really a music fan. Uh, and, and I know that some people that sounds like I don't, I mean, it's not to say that I don't like music. I just don't think of music as a technical achievement, and I don't look at music, oh, so-and-so is doing something that no one's ever done before. I've never been that guy. Music, to me, is about memory. I, I associate music with memories from my life. Uh, Bowie, I, I always understood and respected what he had done. But he was never the big thing for me. I understand. So when he died and I saw this massive outpouring, it was one of the few times a celebrity death. I've been like, I don't really get it. And it, which is, again, I'm not saying that I don't respect the guy's ability. It was just one of those things where I was never the biggest David Bowie fan. And I, I liked Labyrinth. By the way, I have to apologize to our listeners for doing work on the building that I'm in today. And you're going to hear the sounds of construction. And I apologize. Anyway, back to Bowie. As an actor, he was very interesting. And I, my favorite thing about David Bowie, believe it or not, was his appearances on late night shows. Because he would always play into a bit that the host was doing, most notably the stuff he did with Conan uh, in the right. 90s, which I, I, I found great. And to Conan's credit, uh, the day Bowie died, he did the first 10 minutes of his show was just clips of Bowie on his show. It, 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 he is one of those musicians, though, that change the way he does he's very much if you want to look at today's music scene he's the precursor to a to a lady gaga you know it's him and, and his influence and in elton john as the performer is something completely different than the real person which in music is rare most of the time the musicians will tell you that the music is their most real representation of who they are but with bowie do you feel that his I like to look at somebody like that. Did you feel his legacy will live on for a hundred years? Like he'll be in the realm of a Mozart or a Beethoven where they'll be saying his name years from now? Um, yes, but with an asterisk. Um, and that is David Bowie has always been that fringe artist. In other words, um, if you look at any of his music and listen to his music, um, some would probably consider being more art rock, when you, especially when you talk about the Ziggy Stardust days. Um, 
I like how we call yeah. it that and not the I was doing so much cocaine I thought I was an alien phase. Right? And But even when he was, the whole time he spent in Berlin also even resonated the fact of um, his art rock repertoire and everything. Um, so I think he's going to be one of those iconic um, musicians that people are going to still know and love and people are going to talk about him and how he has transformed not only himself, but rock in and of itself as well. But in order to do that, you need to also have influences. Um, I mean, if you look at, you know, you mentioned Lady Gaga and Lady Gaga is very influential by David Bowie. They, I mean, she talks about him a lot. Um, the Arctic Monkeys have talked about David Bowie a lot. Even the Killers, um, Lord, Kesha, Jay-Z has talked about him before in everything. And not only that, but you also have to look at who he has helped. I mean, we can't talk about David Bowie without talking about Lou Reed and the Transformer album because he produced a Transformer album, you know? Or David Bowie helping Queen out, even though it was the one song Under Pressure, he and Queen had a very tight relationship at one point. So, I mean, that's why he's going to be more um, recognizable for the years to come because not only of the music he's produced, but the other things he has done outside of himself. The... I want to just very briefly get into the the movie Labyrinth because I am a movie guy. Is that one of your favorites from when you were a kid? Yeah, um, the that and I say that kind of film has always kind of attracted me. Those kind of sci fi fantasy films and especially eighties films because that's about the time the Jim Henson Workshop was doing a lot of movies. Um, the Labyrinth and then there was Dark Crystal, I believe, came after that. Yes, it did. Um, not to mention I the the, the two Ewok movies. Before that, there was a movie before Lambert that was also a Jim Henson workshop film. Also, um, but I mean all that that kind of niche film of Jim Henson workshop films has was always a favorite of mine, and they still are. I mean, I still throw in Dark Crystal or Lambert from time to time, not because David Bowie's in one of them, but. They're just good films. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Dragon Slayer is the other one. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, the them movie in particular kind of opened David Bowie up to a, which is one of those things that I think musicians uh, should do more often is is appear in movies in bizarre roles because it does open up younger people to their music. Because I would have. Without the movie Labyrinth, I would have never even cared about David. Bowie. And I'll tell you, that, I'm not the biggest fan of the movie Labyrinth, but. I at least saw it enough times. My sister loved it. It was one of those things we watched whenever I would babysit her kind of thing. And I really got a kick out of watching him play that androgynous, let's be honest, child molester, because that's kind of what the... I mean, there, there is that element to that movie where it's very, very strange. But it, it, it got people to be into... Just the idea of David Bowie at a younger age. I mean, I was, when I saw that movie, I had to have been less than, uh, I think I was around 12 years old the first time I saw it because 
I, I had a weird movie history when it comes to that stuff. Like, I saw a lot of kids' movies, and then my mom let me watch Terminator 2 in 1993 when I was 11, and at that moment on, I never went back to kids' movies. So it it it, it never really had the same resonance with me as other people. But I've I've always respected Bowie and his his contributions to music in general. But just the idea of a movie like that, where someone my age goes, no, so I know who this guy is, and when you get older. And I was in high school on the radio station, and we would play, uh, you know, a space odyssey, a space oddity. I really love that song. And when somebody explained, well, no, that's the guy from Labyrinth. It's like a, a thing went off in my brain. It's like, oh, so I, I do. I, I know who this guy is. I like it. And it's it's one. Of, but that is to me my favorite David Bowie song is a space oddity. Uh, yeah, space oddity is was has always still is one of my favorite. I mean, every time I. Here on the radio, um, that's the one song I do turn up a little bit louder in my car. Um, sing to yourself ashamedly. Song. Yeah, and then the other one I sing a lot is Rebel Rebel by David Bowie also. As long as we're both in agreement that, as Family Guy said, as, as long as there's no dancing in the streets. That's right. I, I do feel like I have to mention that because that that's my favorite David Bowie joke of all time, and it's just that Family Guy. <laughs> that happened... And we all let it happen. That's right. Oh, God. Right. All right. Uh, the other guy who passed away this week uh, in music was Glenn Fry of the Eagles. Not, you know, not a lot for me to really get into to say about that, except that he's the guy who's responsible for giving the Eagles that Western feel. Uh, until he joined, they were very much a California, I wouldn't say Beach Boys sounding band, but they were a local, like, like a a beach sound if that makes sense and then he comes in and that's how you get take it easy and taking it easy uh what's the other one that, that i can't think of right now the uh, hotel taking Calif- take it easy take um take it to the limit yeah there you go what's you woman um all that and everything um i mean the eagles again is one of those bands for me um my parents introduced me to the Eagles um, while growing up. I did too. Uh, life out of or what is what was the the live album that they had? Uh, Southern from Hell. I don't remember. Oh, oh, um, Hell froze over. Hell froze. Hell freezes over. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because uh, probably your parents, but my parents, um, the way I described it when. How I got introduced to music, yeah, my parents who were into the Echo Park, California sound, which is Jackson Brown, James Taylor, Carol King, the Eagles, um, that came out of that era, and who played at the Troubadour <clears throat> in California. And I remember my my mom has a cassette, which I took, it was one, one of the Eagle albums on the cassette, and I just kept playing it over and over and over in my car. <clears throat> and there was always something about the Eagles that was very attractive. And then I remember watching the Eagles at their reunion show uh, when I was in Phoenix seeing my aunt and uncle out there. And they were huge. Well, my, ma- my aunt Carol was, who was um, a huge Eagles fan. And we saw the whole show and everything. And from that moment forward, I just kept watching the Eagles and everything. And it's funny how you have, like, Glenn Fry born in Detroit, 
um, and Don Henley, who was born in Texas, both who had different lives where Glenn Fry worked with like Bob Seeger and all that. Glenn, um, Don Henley, excuse me, try to want to work with like Kenny Rogers and everything. Both men in California and they formed this band called Eagles, you know, and like you said, you know, they have like this crossover of rock and country and it just blended very well. And the one thing I love about the Eagles is they're, not only good musicians, but every single one of them are great singers. Yeah, they, they, it was the the Eagles were one of the, the coolest bands you ever see. Because when uh, who was the drummer who would sing? Was that Henley? Well, Don, yeah, Don Henley was a drummer, and he also sang. And that's the other thing was he was mostly a drummer, but the band he was with um, said, "Hey, we need a singer." And he goes, "Well, I'll try to sing," and like. Phil Collins of Genesis, like, okay, I'll just fill in, and somehow, miraculously, he's a good singer also. <laughs> I love the Eagles, man. Like, again, going with the memory thing, like, there's a, uh, my dad had a pretty decent CD collection that over a period of about 10 years, I just ravaged. Like, I would borrow CDs and not put them back, or they'd get scratched up, and Hell Freezes Over was one of those CDs that was just permanently in my car throughout high school, and actually, just... Funny story. Do you know the uh, song Get Over It by the Eagles? Yeah. Okay. For those of you who don't know, there's a great song by the Eagles. It's one, It's not. I wouldn't say it's one of their lesser known, but it's not one of the songs that you instantly think of. But it's a song that says, get over it, get over it. Uh, all this whining and crying and bitching a fit. Get over it, get over it. Basically is the, is the song. Funny story, just because we're a, a podcast and we like to tell funny stories. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was in... I was never the best student, so they put me in one of these English classes where they made you read real simple books and then have to do, like, projects about them. And one of them, we read a book. I swear to God, AJ, and as a fat kid in school, this is not a book you want to read. But they gave me a book called, I'll always remember, The Staying Fat for Sarah Byrne. Okay? Have you ever read it? Mm-hmm. Okay. For those of you who haven't read it, more power to you. The plot of the book is as follows. A girl is horribly burned when she is a child by an abusive father, which is terrible. But as the book goes on, her best friend, who's a dude who, in my head, is named Nick. I don't think that that's the case, but in my head, that's what it is. Is this uh, bigger guy who joins the swim team. He starts losing a lot of weight, but he decides that the reason that the two of them are friends is because they're both social outcasts because of their physical uh, appearance. So he decides to try to stay fat for her, and there's this whole thing that goes on. It's it's a very stupid book. I, I'm not trying to. If you love it, great. But it's just one of those books that never really resonated with me. But the thing was, is at the end of the book, AJ, I had to do. We had to do a project. Pick a song that represents your feelings about this book. And I chose the song "Get Over It" by the Eagles. There you go. My teacher was not happy. To the point where after I was done it, after I was done, she pulled me out in the hallway and said, you made a, you, you didn't take this seriously. I said, no, no, no. I took this more seriously than anybody else did. Did you see the other songs those people picked? Those could have been for any book anywhere, and you make it fit. I said, I picked the song. You said, represents how you feel about this book. I picked the song, Get Over It, because all anybody in this story needed to do was have a five-minute conversation and get over their crap. And this is me at 15, 16? So I'm just saying the the person I am now these seeds were laid long ago. 
I, I feel like you should have had more of a reaction to that story. I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'm just picturing a young Nick explaining this to a teacher, and the teacher's um, dis- face in disgust <laughs> that she is um, learning a lesson. Yeah, for herself. Well, the, well, the, I think the lesson that was learned was that when you're, because she was a young teacher too, she was like maybe in her mid twenties, which when you're a kid seems like when you're in high school seems a lot older than you. But I'm wondering if at that point you just had a moment of, oh, so some of these kids can talk back and actually know what they're doing. I was that kid in high school, man, who just, if a teacher gave me a rule that I felt was stupid, I would just debate with them until they gave up on the rule. Like, that's just me. And, and when it came to projects like that, I was same thing. Just, listen, you assigned the project, I completed the project. You can give me a C if you want, but I completed the project, so you don't get to give me an F just because you don't like it. And I, I would fight people like that all the time, and it, it drove teachers nuts i had a math teacher we had a computer math class same thing i would just no you're doing it wrong no you're doing it wrong by the end of the semester i was teaching the class because it would involve computers anyway that's that's just a segue but glenn fry as a member of the eagles segueing back to what we were talking about i i love that band man it's it's one of those bands that every summer i i always make sure to load up my phone with eagles ccr and steve miller band because to me the Eagles are the one of the best summer bands, like to play when you're out and about, that you'll ever have. No, that's true, and um, I, I, mean, I can see that with certain songs and what have you. But um, I mean, they're always they're always on my playlist, and like I'm like even this morning I was playing a couple of Eagle songs, not just out of memory of Glenn Fry, but that's just usually my routine. I usually play like. Take it to the limit. Um, they did a song around nine eleven called um, "Hole in the World," which was a nice, nice song and everything. And they also seven bridges, seven bridges road, which is this them singing, no plan. I mean, they may have like a guitar in the background, but other than that, it's them, all of them singing, and it's like the most beautiful thing you've ever heard of five guys singing in harmony <laughs> you know and you're hearing like don henley glenn fry joel walsh um ben, billy cunham and i forget who the other guy is but it's it's the thing like in music that some music teachers will say you know the eagles five-part harmony because they're a very unique harmony than any other um vocal chords or vocal yeah, chords that are going to be in music. The I, I want to, you know, we're trying to get through all this. I do want to mention, uh, at least briefly, also the passing of one of my favorite actors. With, and when it comes to musicians passing, the, the hit isn't there for me as much as actors, amazingly enough. And I, I'd like to talk a little bit, AJ, about uh, Alan Rickman and just the career that that guy had. Uh, the coolest thing being that he didn't even start acting in, in movies until he was 35. And his first role in movies is as one of the most iconic villains of all time. Uh, Alan Rickman's passing. Did you, when it happened, did you, were you one of those people? I, I, I didn't know he was sick, so it just came out of nowhere. And I was very shocked when it happened. Well, it's just like David Bowie. I didn't know David Bowie had cancer. I didn't know he was sick. And like Alan Rickman, when I heard he died, I go, well, that just seems weird because you don't hear that he's sick, he's 
you know, ill or, you know, he's rebounding or anything of that nature. Um, so I was completely taken off guard that he died because it was quite funny because I saw him play in the movie CBGB um, like two weeks ago, you know, and um, and then all of a sudden, like, he passes. I was like, well, this is kind of weird. Um, did you... Is there any roles of his that really stick out to you besides, I mean, obviously besides Hans Gruber as just Rickman at his best? I got to be honest. Um, I, the only, knew, the only time I knew about Alan Rickman was just the Harry Potter films. Um, I remember when he was playing, you know, Gruber in everything, but I never really... He, I never really paid attention to it, but when they were talking about Rickman's passing, it just came to me that he was in dogma. Right. That's the yeah. thing about him. He's one of those dudes you don't think about his career until he passes, and then you're like, oh, crap, no, he was in that. Oh, crap, no, he was in that. And he was, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those things you're like, he was amazing in everything that he did. The, uh, well, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of other. Films too. I mean, he was in Quigley Down Under. He was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He was Why in... with a spoon? Because you idiot, it will hurt more. Sorry, I love that line. <laughs> I love that line. Like, why would you cut um, his, cut his head off with I a mean, spoon? Because it'll hurt more. It's just it's a perfect was... Rickman line. I mean, obviously, he was in the Harry Potter series. Um, if, did you read the books? In... Did you read the Harry Potter books? The books? Yeah, did you read them at all? I mean, I, I read some of the books, but I mostly watched the movies. I read the first book, and then I didn't read three, uh, two, three, or four. And then when the fourth movie came out, I saw it in theaters with a girl I was dating at the time and really liked it. So I started, and then I read books five, six, and seven. And I honestly, there are, there's a story that goes on that he wasn't the first choice for Snape, uh, that it was going to be somebody else. And Whoever that was backed out of it. Thank God that that's the like perfect casting is Alan Rickman as Severus Snape. I mean, it's 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 uncanny how perfect a role that is for that actor. Right, you know. But I, I do want to go ahead. I, there's just a couple of his roles that I really want to get into because there there's two movies. The one you already mentioned, but the two movies that he was in that were comedies that I was shocked of how funny Alan Rickman can be, especially growing up watching him as uh, Hans Gruber for so much. Number one is Galaxy Quest. Uh, I, I don't know how many people remember that movie. It's a really obscure film from the 90s, but it's one of the... F I'm a Star Trek fan, and he basically plays uh, a Leonard Nimoy as this you know very distinguished British actor who got suckered into some TV show and is now like forced to deal with it. He's drop dead funny that entire movie and the other one is the one you mentioned which is dogma where he plays uh the metatron the voice of god and is hysterical in that movie the i i just every time i watch that film with him in it it's i honestly skip a lot of that movie and just watch the the rickman parts because he makes me laugh that hard in that film the other thing i want to oh no i mean go ahead go ahead I would say Alan Rickman was brilliant in Dogma, and if you look at the other cast of actors 
in that film, he seems like one of those people who shouldn't be in the movie until you see the brilliance of Kevin Smith writing Dogma and then giving Rickman those lines. And it was just funny. And like I said, I mean, he was also in a in movie that people have never heard of. I think people should watch it. It's called CBGB's. He played Hilly Crystal, who founded CBGB's um, bar turned um, punk new wave music venue in Chicago. And it was a biopic of essentially Hilly's career where he was born in Jersey on a farm, came to New York City, and he wanted to open something, and he opened a bar. And then that bar turned into this music venue that the Talking Heads, Devo, Television, Blondie, Ramones, Dead Boys, all got their start. And then any band up through early 2000s played there. And... It was just a great film, and, you know, Alan Rickman being British, trying to talk with an American accent, was just spot on playing Hilly, because Hilly, I mean, when you listen to Hilly, Crystal, um, drunk half the time, slurred his speech a little bit, and so when Rickman played it, it was just absolutely almost spot on. The last guy we got to mention before we move away from the desk this week is uh, Lemmy from Motorhead. Uh, I'm not the biggest uh, Motorhead fan, uh, but I did respect what he did for metal. But I got to be honest with you, man. Most of my knowledge of Lemmy comes from the world of wrestling uh, with Triple H and just knowing how close Triple H yeah. was with the guy. Do you Were you a big Motorhead guy when you were younger? Um, I wasn't a huge Motorhead fan, but, I mean, obviously... Um, Ace of Spades was the first song I heard, and when I realized it wasn't a guitar but a bass that was being played, that infamous you know intro sound is played from Lemmy's bass. Um, it made me try to learn more how to play bass <laughs> a little bit, um, and especially in metal music. And then, and the funny thing with Lemmy in particular is that Lemmy and Motorhead always wanted to be a punk band, but no one gave them that credit because they never thought he was a, had a punk sound. So they said, oh, you're kind of more like metal and everything. And Lemmy discredited that. He goes, no, we're a punk band because we don't know what this metal you talk of. We are punk. And so, and then we start hearing about other people Dave Grohl and the like showing that Lemmy, who's this whiskey guzzling cigarette chain smoking guy who looks like a badass, you know? Yeah. Really has a softer side to him, you know? And that's what impressed me more about Lemmy than anything else is these people that we frame as badasses. And you think the badass is always a badass. They, they're not emotional. They have no empathy whatsoever. But you see Lemmy, and I've seen documentaries, and I've seen behind-the-scenes footage of him where there's like a kid crying, and you see him walking up, and you're like, he's going to say, shut up! Bends over and picks a kid up and like patting him on the back and telling him to be quiet and everything. 
you know, and then once the baby's like quiet, he gives it back to like the mother and kind of walks away. It's like, who are you? <laughs> You're supposed to be Lemmy, you know, the the whiskey guzzling cigarette chain smoking guy. You well, know? apparently Jack and uh, Coke not- ju- guzzling. Apparently Jack and Coke is his drink. I learned that after he died, that that was like, because there's like this thing going on where people have petitioned Jack Daniels to officially change the name of a Jack and Coke to a Lemmy. Right? So, you know. I, I mean, mean and, but, I mean, Lemmy, Lemmy and Motorhead um, was a band I've always liked and, you know, always try to see in concerts and everything. But, um, and the one thing I would like to note is, I've had this discussion with a lot of people. Lemmings passing, Glenn Fry's passing. Um, you know, all these people who are dying um, today. Dallas Taylor, who's who was a drummer for Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, uh, who even spoke about Kurt Cobain's illness because he related himself more to what Kurt Cobain was going through and everything. All these guys are like dying, passing in their 60s or younger um, is really intriguing in so many ways. And the only thing I can come up with are these two quick things. We're going to see a generation of baby boomers who are musicians that they never really took care of themselves while they were young. Um, A lot of them did drugs. A lot of them drank. A lot of them have certain, they, they did certain vices and they lay a certain lifestyle that, they never really took into account and that is catching up with them. So I don't think this is going to be a one-off situation. I think we're going to see more musicians to come um, in the next couple of years where there's going to be a string of these musicians going to die. And the second thing I'd like to note is um, uh, I hope Keith Richards is taking count. I think Keith um, Richards has a notch on his know, bed I mean, for every musician he's outlived. I mean, think about it. Think about there for a second. I mean, there's also the, the, the second point I'm trying, and it's a little bit funny, is that how can someone like Lemmy, who drank and smoked and all that, die? Yet Keith Richards, who's done every drug known to man, he's never led the healthiest of lifestyles ever. You know, he hung out with people like Hunter S. Thompson and others, and yet he's like what, eighty and alive? You like man? To me, it just further proves that no one really knows. There's this thing out there that you've got to eat this, drink this, do this, live this way, do that, and the truth is, either you're gonna die or you're not. I mean, let's face it. You and I could both drop deads of heart attacks right now. And we would go, and we're both relatively larger guys, and so it wouldn't be that shocking. But there's also the possibility that a 90-pound dude who we know who's been healthy his entire life could drop dead of a heart attack, or get you know third degree, you know, horrible lung cancer, or whatever. I think people, I think doctors just don't know, and there's no real proof. And at the end of the day, maybe if you just start doing drugs, you should just never stop. Maybe that's the true lesson of Keith Richards. I mean, I, I, and I hope it's that. It's just that you know. You hope it's that. You hope that the, the you hope that the the, the, the the yeah. No, you hope that the lesson is we should just all be doing more drugs. 
something. I mean, if Keith Richards is living, I, I, I really feel that the, I think Keith Richards took certain amount of drugs. Everything. Really no, they, 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 his organs. Yeah. And that's how they're only going to function, you know. But you also hear that conspiracy theory that Keith Richards goes to Switzerland every year. Oh, yeah, it has a, like an oil change of his blood. Yeah, and it's like, okay, if that's true, why ain't everyone else doing that? Right, and why am I not living the life like a 68 Chevy? Right. Here's the other thing with Keith Richards, though. When, when you ask about my favorite, one of the best Dennis Leary lines of all time when you talk about Keith Richards, is, Keith, there aren't any drugs left. We have to wait for you to die, and then we're going to smoke your ashes. That, that's how I feel Keith Richards has finally gotten into all of this. All right, AJ. Also the, Go ahead. That's also the funny part of when Robin Williams was alive. He was poking fun of Keith Richards' lifestyle. And Robin Williams was talking about anthrax that was delivered to Keith Richards' house. And Keith Richards was like, anthrax? And he snorts it. He goes, he goes all right. <laughs> oh, man. That's you know, yeah, the only thing he can do at this point is anthrax in uh, order for him to like die. But if even if he does anthrax, he probably will still live. Uh, you go to the oh, that's the other Leary joke is why is it always the talented people who die and the people who aren't talented live forever? Like Motley Crue will never overdose. You put them in a room with two, ton, two put them in a room with two tons of crack, they'd be coming out five hours later. Hey, we made another live album. No, god damn it. Uh <laughs> I love Dennis Leary. I got and I got to make two shout outs to him today too, which is nice. Uh, both from his uh, 1994 album, No Cure for Cancer, available on iTunes now. The other story you wanted to get into, and we're coming up on it. We got about 20 minutes left in the show, AJ. You wanted to kind of briefly get into a certain presidential candidate who goes only by one name, like Madonna. Uh, and like Madonna is making a complete ass of himself the older he gets. Uh, that would be one Sir Donald Thavius Trump. I, I, I just wanted to put in a middle name. Yeah, so um, I just want to put a PSA out there that Donald Trump's an idiot. Complete idiot. I can't express it how much of an idiot he is. No, no, no. no. Um, you want to do a PSA, then let's do a PSA. Hold on one second, just to give a little... The more you know... Sometimes people run for president, ladies and gentlemen. And they are intelligent, well-spoken, sane individuals who want nothing more than to serve in the public interest. And then there's Donald Trump. The more you know... See, that's a PSA. I've been in radio too long. I like mine better. It's straight to the point. That's true. I mean, you do have the, 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 the pride of simplicity, but then yours could just be one of those flyers. Those PSA flyers that, I put her out. That's true, but he's an idiot. <laughs> well, okay, but what specifically? Okay, like, what what specifically caused you to say it this time? So here's here's in all seriousness. So so I write for a local paper called the Salt Valley Sun, and you know I'm doing the story about Trump. Like the original, I was originally tasked to do a review of different presidential candidates' books, do a book review of these candidates. I was doing Hillary Clinton, living history. But then I stopped, and I'm, I've been watching Trump, obviously, for all this time. And I go, no, 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 I want to know why he says the way he says things. And so I picked up his book, The Art of a Deal. 
You know, I was like, maybe this book is going to be the answers because I need to know. Because for someone who has studied communications before, I need to know what drives a person to communicate the way they do. So here's what I've come up with after reading, you know, Arvidil and what he is saying. There's really no difference from Donald Trump business guy to Donald Trump politician but what i can say is this donald trump in and himself um does not know what the hell he's doing he based everything that he does on controversy he is the guy who really feels that controversy is not necessarily a bad thing though that is true in some regard that you add a layer of controversy in business in order to kind of spark conversation or trying to change the way certain systems operate in business and everything. So that part's true. But when you do controversy for the sake of doing controversy, it really doesn't hold up weight, you know? So when you say things like, I'm going to build a wall, the Mexico is going to pay for it, and they're going to pay for it, you know? There's going to be a wall. It's a beautiful wall. There's going to be a door on that wall and everything. And that's all he's going to say, and then you start hearing everything in D.C. and in our own dining room tables of people having conversations about it. And that's what is really intriguing, that when he sparks these controversial things, people talk, and we start seeing all these stones being turned up, whether it be about Mexico, banning Muslims, um, his rhetoric on women, whatever it is, people talk about it. You know, it's, it's every stone doesn't go unturned at this point. And I think if we actually see a Trump administration, we're going to see more empty rhetoric, but it's going to really, really be interesting on how people have these conversations. We start, we see this now in Illinois. With Governor Rauner. I mean, today he is spending um, $21 million in public health assistance because we have a $1.6 million shortfall in the budget and everything. So because he's suspending that budget, a lot of conversations of, well, how much bureaucracy does the state of Illinois have and how much money is actually being invested into HIV, um, assistance, um, autism, helping burials for the less fortunate who cannot find money to be buried and everything. Um, hey, real so quick, do you know like about that at all? I'm curious. Do you, budget. do you know about that at all? What? Uh, what they used to call a pauper's graveyard. Does that, Yeah. is that still a thing? Do we still? Yeah. Okay. We still fund that. Okay. Well, now, well up, up until today, that rounder said. All right, so as of now, if you are, let's say, a homeless person with no family that they can find, there's no money to bury you properly. Nope. Nope. Uh, okay, I'm sorry, continue. I just... I, I just no, 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 but, but, but that's, the end of my, that's my end of my point. I mean, we, we look at the rounders, and, the rounders at, the, at the state level and the Trumps at the national level where you have two business guys who look at government as a big business and we both know and everyone who's listening knows that you can't run a government like a big business because it's not a business 
It isn't, but but to end the point is this. Trump is an idiot because we allow his controversial statements to run wild. We allow the media and we allow ourselves to talk about these things rather than ignore them. And if we all continue just to ignore the whiny kid in the sandbox and get his way rather than actually listening to people who actually have substantive dialogue on what public and social policy is, then I think we can have better candidates being grown while being overshadowed by the Trumps and Cruises of the world. Do you feel in when you follow the stuff having to do with Trump that his rhetoric is... Because everything you see on television, everything you see, uh, you read is Trump's an idiot. He, he can't do nothing. But his poll numbers say that he's doing very well. You've worked in this kind of field before. You've worked on political campaigns. Are his poll numbers for real? Or are they the poll numbers of a television star? I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, so even though I'm saying Trump's an idiot and here's why he's an idiot, um, it doesn't negate the fact that he's also talking to a certain population in the United States that actually believes what he says, you know, and the same argument could be said for Bernie Sanders supporters as well, you know, that Sanders has a little bit more substantive conversation than Trump does. But the point is, Trump is speaking to a target demographic that both he and his staff know there is, and he's going to say these things that people want someone to say the things that they're thinking, or they have said all this time, but now you have more of a magnet that is called Donald Trump that's going to do it for them. So the, the, the poll numbers are 